0: We'll now hear today's scripture reading, and then I'll be back for today's teaching.
1: Today, God speaks to us from Acts 20, verse 28 through 38. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own num- number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words that the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. You know, one of the uh, most powerful forces uh, in the entire world, in the entire universe, uh, is our desire and our capacity to love. Uh, Our capacity to love, uh, pursue love, fight for love, die for love, uh, is central to who we are as humans. Uh, without love, often life can quickly begin to feel mundane and without purpose and without joy and maybe even seemingly meaningless. Plus, for the Christian, we would say that God is love, First or, uh, yeah, 1 John 4. That's what, that is that we believe that love flows from the character and from the nature of God and therefore is central to the Christian faith. So without understanding love, we cannot understand or even know God. But with that said about love, what is love exactly? And how easily could you answer that question? And would we all have the same answer to that question? Because I would venture to guess that our answers would be as diverse as there are people in the room. Now today we're going to be uh, continuing on our series Extraordinary Through the Ordinary, our series through the book of Acts, by looking at this passage here in Acts 20, which I think actually gives us insights and clarity from the biblical perspective on what love is and what it should look like in our everyday lives. Now, if you've been with us, you know that um, you'll remember that Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's been in Ephesus where he has. in preaching. And as a result, people have just been coming to faith in Jesus left and right. And as a result, a church has been developing there. And so Paul now is beginning to invest in some local leaders because he's about to leave. And as he leaves, he wants to ensure that he can trust that the leaders that are there are strong and able to lead this new congregation. And this passage here in Acts 20 is his final words to that group of leaders that he has been um, raising up. And so what I want to do is from those words that Paul gives to these leaders in Ephesus, I want us to consider how we can rightly view love. And I want to do that by considering three things. First, the basis of love, the expression of love, and then finally our example of love. Okay, Let's consider what love is with the basis of love. First, take a look at uh, verse 28. Let me just reread that for you. Verse 28, again, Paul speaking to these leaders. He said, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he, brought, or which he bought with his own blood. Now, there's a couple of things to note in that passage. The first thing, again, I just want to uh, direct your attention to the fact that these words are being spoken to the leaders and the elders, the pastors of this church. Uh, those receiving these words were shepherds over this flock, this congregation that had grown. And so today, just important to note, while I'm not going to be spending a whole lot of time on how this passage specifically applies to leaders and pastors, uh, if I was in a room full of leaders and pastors, this would probably be a very different sermon. But I do want us just to know that this passage is being spoken to uh, spiritual leaders and that these are the kinds of things we should expect to see from our spiritual leaders. But the second thing that I want to note is that Paul is calling these leaders to watch over a particular group of people. That is that there's a specific flock for whom they are responsible. And he notes the reason why they are responsible to care for that group of people. Look at the second part of that verse. And he says to be shepherds of the church of God. And then he gives the basis. The basis for that relationship that he has, with, that they have with these people is that Christ shed his blood for them. I mean, that, my friends, is one of the most intense foundations, basis for the establishment of this relationship that these leaders have with the congregation. They are called to care for this group because Jesus shed his blood for them. I mean, even now, it's at least worth noting that this congregation, our church, Redeemer East Harlem, that is the same call that elders and pastors have to love and care, but the the reason to love and care is the same, that Jesus has shed his blood for these people, which has now brought them together, to make them a church, to make them a people. And I'm drawing this out because our ability to love well requires that we acknowledge the basis for that love, the context for that love. What is the reason why we are called to love anyone? I mean, why is it? Well, it's because when we consider the basis, the basis for our love almost always speaks to the kind of commitment and sacrifices that we've made in order to love those whom we are called to love, meaning that we're, we're made to establish this relationship, or the, the greater and uh, deeper the uh, obligations and commitments and sacrifices are that we have to one another often shows the depths of love that we will have for one another. Let me give you an example of what I mean. So the level of sacrifice and commitment between my wife and I ought to establish an obligation and a depth of love that we have for one another, right? So there's a greater level of sacrifices, a greater level of commitment, and as a result, ought to produce a deeper well of love between us. And that's, of course, the case for uh, relationships like marriage, but it's also the case for a lot of other meaningful relationships. I mean, think about the closest friends that you have, Usually, the closest friends that you have are the closest to you because you've been most willing to sacrifice for them, most willing to commit to them, and they've done the same for you. So that level of sacrifice and commitment produces a depth of love that is distinct and important. And it's important to name those that basis for love because it's why your loving relationship ends up being meaningful. All meaningful relationships have some level of sacrifice and commitment that creates the depth. And the greater the sacrifice, the greater the commitment, the deeper the love. So having said all of that, what Paul is saying here is that the reason why they should love, the basis for their love is the commitment and sacrifice that Jesus has made in order to bring them together. That's a significant, powerful basis to love one another. But here's what's interesting to me. This passage is speaking about the love that leaders ought to have for their flock, all of which is based on Christ's sacrifice and what Christ has done. But in the New Testament, nearly every single time someone is called to love someone else, Jesus is almost always the basis for that love and the reason why we ought to love. So to give you an example of what I mean, husbands... Are called to love their wives, and wives are called to love their husbands because of the love seen with Christ and His church, in Ephesians 5. You can read about that in Ephesians 5. Parents are called to love and care for their children because just as the Father in heaven gives good gifts to His children, so also should parents give good gifts to their children, Matthew 7. I mean, we're called to love our neighbor, we're called to love the poor, the widow, the immigrant, the prisoner, because to do so is to love Jesus. Read about that in Matthew 25. We're even called to love our enemies, Matthew 5, because while we were still enemies of God, Romans 5, and alienated from God, Colossians 1, Christ, out of his love, died for us. In other words, Christ is always the basis for why we ought to love others. And it's important, Christian, it's important for you to name that and to understand that God calls you to love people because Christ has loved us. Christ is the basis. This puts a weight and a responsibility, and even an obligation, on the Christian for how they love. So, with that said, though, I still haven't quite gotten to what is love then exactly. Because I I think, I hope we all understand the weight that we ought to feel. There's there's a bit of there is that obligation that we have to love others. But what does it mean then to love? Let's consider that by considering the expression of love. Let me ask you that question that I started with. What is love? Let me take a second and answer that question for you, for yourself rather. You know, it seems easy to answer, but it's actually really not that easy to give an answer to that question. In fact, I submit to you that in many ways, I think we've lost the truest sense of what love ought to mean. And the reason being is because of how we often think about the expressions of love. You know, if you look up the definitions of love, and I did that, I did that this week, looked at several different definitions, they almost universally speak of feelings of affection, sexual desire, or admiration. Every single one of them. And this makes, uh, this makes sense, given how we generally have made that word, love, kind of so ubiquitous. We use it for so many different things. I mean, we, we are literally using the same word to describe uh, how we feel about pizza as we do about how we feel about our spouses or children or friends. We don't really have a real good understanding of what we even mean often by love. Plus, on top of that, there's all these assumptions, uh, be, though there are all of these assumptions about love being feelings, we also live in this hyper-individualistic society that highly prizes things like personal autonomy and pursuits of personal pleasure and happiness or freedom from obligation to anyone but myself. But as a result, when we think about love, we often can't conceive of love that doesn't support that autonomy or that pleasure or that freedom. I mean, a moment ago, I was using the word obligation in relation to love, which for many of us just does not compute. Because for many, love should never be obligatory. But all of this together, and we'll speak to that in a little bit uh, more in a little bit, but all that together, it brings us to a conception of love that is often incredibly self-serving. It's so often a self-serving venture. It's self-serving in the sense that I want to experience feelings of love and be affirmed in my sense of autonomous self without any obligation to others. And if any of those are questioned or undermined, those pursuits are questioned or undermined, then for us, oftentimes, it must not then be love. But from a biblical perspective, that's actually an incredibly shallow and hollow understanding of love. The reason being is that that kind of love that often thinks more about self. It's a kind of love that cannot persevere because it's often fragile and fickle and dependent on my feelings, which come and go. It cannot truly care for others because it primarily is calling attention to myself. It cannot seek the best for others for what kind of love and what kind of loving relationship doesn't include the ability to challenge others, especially when their sense of self is destructive or harmful or just plain wrong? I mean, if I only love my wife or my children or my friends to the degree that they do things that make me feel feelings of love toward them, that is inevitably going to make me a terrible husband and father and friend. Or if I see those whom I love living in destructive ways or believing things that are not true but do not challenge them in their ways in their ideas i mean can i really call whatever we have can i really call it love and so so often love for us puts us into this self-contained bubble that doesn't allow us to see past ourself and to consider the cares and the needs of others And to almost feel an obligation to love others. So, with that said, what does love look like then? Well, this passage, I actually think, gives us some pretty intriguing insights into what love ought to be. Again, consider how these pastors are being called to love and experience love. Look at verse 29. In verse 29, they're told to protect the flock from wolves who seek to devour the flock. I mean, those wolves, we're told there, will either come from the outside or maybe from the inside of the flock. And then as verse 30 says, specifically that these leaders are to protect the flock against distortions of the truth that might draw people away. And then in verse 32, Paul commits these leaders to God and to his word of grace. In other words, that love and care given by the elders is dependent on their trusting God and his grace. And then in verse 33 through 35, he reminds them, Of his willingness to make sacrifices for their good, to work hard for their good, not for his own benefit, but for the benefit of the weak among them. And so, all of that together, how can we maybe summarize that? What does love look like? What is love? How do we express love? Well, I think some takeaways there are the fact that love protects, love defends truth, love is sacrificial and others oriented. That love, true love, points the object of love to trusting God in his grace. That love, true love, seeks the betterment of others before benefiting self. That love is not a feeling, but it's a commitment, it's an obligation to ensure the good of others. That's what it means to love. And again, these words are given to pastors, and as a pastor... I read them in that way. You know, I do feel the weight of this pretty regularly. That if there are deceptions among us, you know, as leaders and as a pastor, I want to be responsible to ensure that I'm calling those kinds of deceptions out. You know, I take that kind of thing very seriously. I'm responsible to ensure that I am regularly calling this congregation to trust God and His grace and to see him as more beautiful and more satisfying than any of the deceptions that might exist out there. And even though that's a call for me as a pastor, I hope we all see. Christian, I hope you see that this is also a call for you as well in the way that you love others. That we are all called to rejoice with truth, to protect others against deception, to sacrificially care for one another. It's a call for the whole church. And as I said, the foundation for the way that Christians are to love is Jesus, which produces this weightiness to the love that we ought to experience with one another. And so when our lifestyles or our politics or our ideologies are fraught with deceptions, love dictates that we confront such things in one another. When there's a need in our midst, love dictates that we sacrificially ensure that others are cared for. When we're struggling to trust God in His grace, we lift one another up, we point one another to the hopes found in Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but as I describe love in that way, it actually sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? It, it, it sounds nice to be loved in that way. But have you ever really thought about what I'm actually calling you to do? The kind of love that I'm calling you to, the kind of love that is others-oriented, the kind of love that calls out deceptions that might be experienced uh, in others, to to love sacrificially and to care for others. If you ever think about what that call is, it's actually kind of overwhelming. It's a hard thing to say, yeah, I think I can do that. You know, one of the uh, most famous chapters of the Bible in relation to love, it's 1 Corinthians 13. It's actually called the love chapter. Uh, If you've been to a Christian wedding, more than likely at some point you've heard this read at a Christian wedding. It's often read there. And that's great. It's totally fine. It is worth noting, though, that 1 Corinthians 13 is actually not about the commitment that two people are making to one another. Uh, In context, though, Paul is actually writing to the church in Corinth uh, because there's been deep divisions among them, and the overall letter is kind of authoritative, and uh, it's a bit of a rebuke to the church. Um, So maybe, I don't know, I feel like maybe that passage should be more read in marriage counseling sessions than on the actual wedding day. I don't know. Um, But if you ever read that chapter, it presents love in terms that for me are completely overwhelming. That chapter might sound really nice at weddings or as an ideal, but good Lord, have you ever read that chapter and compared yourself or others up against the list that's there? Because to do so, I do wonder if I have ever really loved anyone or ever really been loved by anyone when you read that list. Let me read it for you. And as I read it, compare yourself to it. Compare others to it. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 says this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You know, when, we've, when you read that kind of thing, I do wonder, have we ever received, I mean, that, that always... In verse 7, always protects, always trusts, always hopes. I mean, have I ever given that kind of love? Have you ever received that kind of love? It's an overwhelming passage. And again, these, these passages are in the context of the church in particular. So I wonder, is that the way that people have experienced the love of the church? Have you experienced the love of the church in those kinds of ways, in those kinds of categories because most of us would say, yeah, I want to receive that kind of love. I want to give that kind of love. And yet, isn't it also true that it almost seems elusive to us? It almost seems impossible for us to achieve such a feat? For some reason, the love that we experience, it fails. So often the love that we give, it, it fails, And it seems like love is constantly failing. So what do we do with that? That brings us, finally, to the power to love. If we don't understand where the power comes from in order for us to love well, we will always constantly, consistently be experiencing a failed love. The power for love is this. Um, Jackie Hill Perry, she's a poet Uh, rap artist. Uh, She wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago, uh, a couple of years ago, why can't I say that? A couple of years ago, called Gay Girl, Good God. And in the book, she chronicles her story and her experiences of same-sex attraction and how Jesus has reshaped her understanding of her sexuality. Uh, And in a portion of the book, she's processing love. And she's processing how love for her had become distorted. And she puts it this way, in talking about love. She says that loving him, loving God, as we were created to do, involves both the will and the affections. But sin steals this love God placed in us for himself, and it turns it and tells it to go elsewhere. That sin steals this love for God placed in us for himself and tells it to go elsewhere. Those words struck me. As I was thinking about this passage, as I was thinking about love, the reason being is that our capacity to love others cannot be rooted in a desire to love them well. My desire to love my wife cannot be solely rooted in my desire to love her. It doesn't work that way because there's something uh, wrong, distorted in the way that we love Rather, love ought not to be rooted in the objects of love, but rather love ought to be an overflow of the love that we have with God, the love that we have for God. I am able to love others well only when I love God as I should. You know, consider just the things that have been described here in our passage. Defending against the wolves of deception That's actually more about loving the truth of God than it is about loving those in need of that truth. You know, my trusting God and His grace is more about my calling to help, Uh, it's more about me trusting Him more and more than it is about me calling others to trust Him more and more. My ability to sacrificially love is more about offering myself as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Than it is giving myself sacrificially to others. You know, consider what we just what we just saw in First Corinthians thirteen. You know, my love can be patient when I love the God who is patient with me. My love can be kind when I love the God of kindness. My love is not envious or boastful or proud when I boast only in the Lord. My love is not easily angered when I remember my God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. My love can only protect and trust and hope and persevere to the degree that I love the one who protects and is trustworthy and gives hope and whose love never ceases. And our inability to love like we should is rooted in our lack of love for God. But if that's true, the opposite of that is also true. Our ability to love well is rooted in loving him more. And loving him more means remembering and experiencing his love. I mean, as Jackie Hill put it, sin steals the love of God that was placed in us for him and tells us to put that love elsewhere. That is the foundational root of our inability to love, that we haven't loved him. and the gospel of Jesus, Recovers that stolen love that we've placed on other things, puts it back where it belongs, and points our affections to to the Father. This is why every single week we point our vision to the greatest expression of God's love, which is Jesus Himself. I mean, Jesus is where we see the love of God on full display. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 often gets that title as being the love chapter. But I actually think that 1 John 4 should have that title. Because in 1 John 4, we see what love actually looks like in its fullest expression. Let me read for you just a portion of 1 John 4. Verse 9 says this. says, this is how God showed love, showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then it goes on to say in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. The reason that we are ever going to be able to love and love well is not going to be because of the object of our our affections or our desire in some way to please them. Our ability to love well is going to be shifting our affections back to where they ultimately belong, which is God himself, and to see Jesus for who he is. Jesus, our good shepherd, who comes to proclaim truth, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the one who protects us from lies and deceptions by giving us his word. Jesus, our friend who sacrificially lays down his life for us. Jesus, the one who makes it possible for us to trust the grace of God. For Jesus is the full expression of God's grace. And so there's two things I want to leave you with. Two things I want you to consider as we close. The first would be this is that the pursuit of loving God is going to be a lifelong pursuit for all of us, which means that along the way, our love for others and their love for us is going to falter and fail at times. We cannot be perfect in our love. Jesus alone is perfect in his love. But because of that, because there will be times where we falter, we can never expect others to give us what only Jesus can give. We should never expect that we can give others what only Jesus can give. And as we falter and fail, we must constantly be willing to repent of the ways that we fail. If we can't do that, we will constantly be failing and never growing. We must look to Jesus and know that along the way, we have to repent for the ways that we don't do it well. But the second thing that I want us to keep in mind, the last thing, Is that the fact that our love will never be perfect does not mean that we don't strive for more. I mean, as a church community, we must love each other better by looking to Jesus more. Spouses in the room, we must love our spouses better by looking to Jesus more. Parents, we need to love our children. Children, you need to love your parents better by looking to Jesus more. Friends, Love your friends better by looking to Jesus more. We should all be striving to that end. If you're a Christian, the foundation of your love is Jesus. And that is a powerful foundation. And so I don't say all of this to burden you, but as an encouragement to pursue love, to pursue loving others more by loving Jesus more. And be shaped by his love to trust his word so that we can be the people that he calls us to be in the way that we love others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the beauty of your love. That beauty being uh, fully seen, fully known, fully experienced in the person and work of Jesus. The love that you show us in Christ is the basis for all the love that we might give to others. So Lord, I pray that you would help us be people of love, that we would be better lovers by looking to Jesus more. And God, would you take the affections that we so often place on things that should not have them and restore to us a desire to love you more and Lord, we trust that that will make us a people that love others well.
1: In Jesus' name.